Welcome to Communicore Weekly. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And we're merrily, merrily, merrily on our way to nowhere in particular. It's time for Disney History! While other Fantasyland rides all aim to take guests on a fantastic journey to lands they have never been to before, and partially rehash the films they are based on, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride has one simple goal in mind for guests, to make them laugh. Costing only a sea ticket during the time of ticket books, Mr. Toad is probably Disneyland's most madcap original attraction. When it was first being planned, the trip was considered to be more roller coaster like in nature, but that idea was quickly shelved in order to make the wild ride simple and zany, as it's been since 1955. There were a few Disney legends at the core of its creation. Bill Martin did the basic ride layout, Claude Coach drew the interiors, Ken Anderson designed the sets, and Bob Gurr built the vehicles. In 1961, there was a mini refurb that improved some of the interiors that had been hastily painted for the opening day of Disneyland. A major Fantasyland renovation in 1983 brought new effects to both the interior and the exterior of the ride. Inside, new areas and gags were added, while outside, a stunning new mansion design replaced the medieval tournament facade that existed throughout Fantasyland. Now guests can feel like they are actually entering Toad Hall, as it is wonderfully multi-chimneyed structure that is as fun as it is fascinating. A mini version of Toad Hall can also be seen on the Storybook Land Canal boats. The Wild Ride is housed in a rectangular building that's shared with the Alice in Wonderland attraction. In fact, Alice's caterpillar vehicles crawl up onto the second floor right above Toad's tracks. Mr. Toad's theme came from a half-hour Disney animated movie, The Wind in the Willows, which was released in 1949, and it's based on the classic Kenneth Graham book. Though the attraction doesn't retell the movie's plot, elements of the film are represented throughout. The cars are named after key characters from the film, and most of the movie's characters appear during the two-minute trip. A colorful mural in the loading area foretells some of the hijinks to come. After boarding one of the stylish but uncontrollable antique cars, riders immediately careen and crash through the hallways of Toad Hall before tearing off across the English countryside. Their destination, as the song states, is merrily, merrily, merrily on their way to nowhere in particular. The most surprising portion of the ride is its fiery ending. After a romp through London streets, a police chase, a courtroom trial, and a prison getaway, the whole frantic escapade is brought to a sudden halt by the approach of a train. As a result, guests wind up, quite literally, in hell, with demons and tridents and a gigantic devil watching over it all. The movie actually ends with Toad in a flying machine, so this is quite a different ending for the ride. Perhaps is actually a warning that if you drive as recklessly as Mr. Toad, you'll have dire consequences. As beloved as the attraction is, the ride was almost replaced in the early 90s by Winnie the Pooh. Luckily, Pooh moved into Critter Country, and Toad stayed. Unfortunately, the Walt Disney World version wasn't as lucky, as Toad was evicted from Toad Hall and Pooh promptly moved in. But guests going to Disneyland can still enjoy Toad's wild romp through London today. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen. 
Listen up to the words from his beat. It's George's book of the week. Disney has just released the Toy Story films and animated story. It's a 192-page look at the evolution of the Toy Story films and Pixar. Written by Charles Solomon, a noted animation historian, this book is a must-have for Toy Story and Pixar fans. We start with a look at the very beginning, when Lasseter is let go from Disney and makes his way to Lucasfilm. Eventually, Steve Jobs purchases Pixar and the company makes commercials to stay afloat. Lasseter starts to dabble in animated shorts uh, in order to show off the Pixar workstations, and they start winning awards and garnering the attention of Disney. This leads to the development of the world's first digitally animated feature film, Toy Story. Before we hit the part of the book about Toy Story, we do spend time looking at the multitude of short films that they made. It's really eye-opening to see the process the company went through at the beginning and how they changed over the years and changed filmmaking. Each short and several of the commercials are discussed along with stills and artwork. As inspiring as the shorts were, they almost appear barbaric today. The majority of the book goes deep into the development of the three films. Not only do we see the development of the characters and the story, but we see how a small studio works itself almost into the ground to create the groundbreaking film and how they change the fit the times. As can be expected, there are some beautiful illustrations. As spectacular as the final films are, the concept artwork is just as breathtaking. For a computer animation company, it's really interesting to see how a majority of their pre-production art, sketches, and storyboards are all hand-drawn. Some of the full-page watercolors and pastels created for the films are simply staggering. The evolution of the films and the technology is apparent when you read this book. Pixar revolutionized how modern animated films are made and pretty much sounded the death knell for most hand-drawn animated films. Charles Solomon, because of his background as an animation historian, is in a unique place to look at Pixar. He interviewed the key Pixar employees and their individual stories helped create a larger look at the Toy Story films, which not only represent Pixar, but the growth of the individual employees. He's also able to place these films in an accurate historical context. Toy Story, the animated films, really takes you deeper into the process of modern day filmmaking. The insights you gain from reading and viewing the art will spur your appreciation of the films and the artistry. As I mentioned at the top of the review, get this book if you love the Toy Story films and or Pixar. This will be a wonderful addition to your collection. Here's another minute that you can't get back. It's the 60 Decker Review. Okay, for this incredibly long 60-second review, we're going to look at a couple of Blu-ray titles that Disney's just released. The Rescuers, the Rescuers Down Under combo pack, which has the 35, uh, 35th anniversary of the Rescuers, and Pocahontas and some other really crappy movie attached to it. <clears throat> That's all we'll say. We're not going to mention any names. Right? We're not going to mention any names. That's fine. Yes, well, I, I was really, really glad to see that these films finally got the Blu-ray treatment. I mean, there's a ton of movies I want to see on Blu-ray, um, but I was glad to see these, uh, especially since I haven't seen The Rescuers in a long, long time. And it was my first time watching The Rescuers Down Under. I have to admit it, I sort of missed that generation. Um, but the one thing I wanted to bring up with the films, because most people were aware of them and know about them, was this was a really cool way to see the evolution of Disney animation. We have three distinct styles with these films that showcase the studio's growth. The Rescuers, 
from 77, I believe. Uh, 77 it came out. 77. is firmly entrenched in the post what would Walt do when Walt isn't here mentality. It's a little slow. It plods. It doesn't quite have that Jungle Book feel, but you can see how it went off course a little bit. So, so it was WWWDWW. Is that what that was? I think so. All right. I it's on so. a t-shirt. It's happening. We're paying, we're paying for Ws. Um, the Rescuers Down Under, which is the first animated film to ever be a sequel uh, for Disney. First one. Uh, it's one of the first films in the second golden age of Disney animation. You know, it sort of started with Oliver and Company and went through till. Well, really, The Lion King, but yeah, that's okay. But that's okay. <laughs> there were a few films after like that, but and, and you can see the spark of things to come. There are wide angles, breathtaking vistas, some nascent computer animation, and in my mind, it's still missing a few things, but it's getting closer. Well, then you get Pocahontas, which was released at the apex of that second golden age of Disney animation, right after The Lion King, and you know nothing really topped The Lion King until Toy Story came along. But, you know, uh, Pocahontas, in my mind, had everything. It had great voice acting, beautiful animation, fantastic songs that I just sing all the time. But for some reason, it just kind of missed. I didn't think it resonated with people. The story wasn't quite there. Uh, and it sort of, I think, fell to the Disney Eisner hype machine. You know, people's expectations were a little too high. I, I but, never you know, really understood that, though. You know, I thought it was a, a great film even you know for its time it, it wasn't a lion king sure but i still thought it, it was uh, a fantastically done film and i still thought, thought the story was great mm-hmm. um you know i had an issue with the fact that there really is no villain per se in in the entire film um but i mean otherwise i think it's pretty good but it, like you mentioned before the animation style from each film is vastly different from all three um when we were watching the rescuers uh Alex, uh, the nine-year-old, mentioned how how weird some of the lines looked on it, because it was kind of that journey animation time. And yeah, with the xerography process, yeah, where they weren't doing all the cleanup. They mm-hmm. weren't, you know, erasing those other lines. So it looked it looked a little odd. But I mean, we watched the Rescuers on a Saturday night, and then we watched Rescuers Down Under on a Sunday morning. And immediately, right off the bat, he said how different and how much better the Rescuers Down Under looks. Um, but he enjoyed both the films, and just like I did. I love both the films, e- even if the animation for Rescuers isn't really made for Blu-ray. Um, mm-hmm. It probably looks a lot better when you view it on film as opposed to Blu-ray. But uh, both films are fantastic, and I'm glad they both came out on a disc together. Um, Pocahontas, <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love Pocahontas. Um, there, that other film that's on the disc is terrible, but Pocahontas looks great. It sounds great. I mean, on Blu-ray, it really shines. I think it looks fantastic on Blu-ray. It it really, really was stunning. I was surprised. Um, uh, you know, I, I did love the Rescuers. You know, I did say it was slow and plodding, but I think it was it was a different mentality, a different type of film. I'm not knocking it. It was still it, it's a it's a classic film. But you know, Pocahontas still loved it in the theater. Loved watching it on Blu-ray. Loved the music for it. And uh, we, we just got to mention the Pocahontas 2 film. We can't, we, we have to. I mean, I, I watched it and it looked like the cheapest Saturday morning animation I'd seen in a while. And they stole bits and pieces from other films. Um, did you catch the maid for John Rolfe? Oh my gosh. I yes. thought she was doing a really bad Mrs. Potts impersonation from Beauty and the Beast. It was like that episode of South Park where, where Isaac Hayes no longer was... Oh, we had somebody so else they, doing it. No, no. When they took his old 
his old thing uh, words from other episodes to make oh, new sentences. Yes, that's yes, what yes, it almost yes. sounded like to me. <laughs> it was just so bad, and it's you know, I, buy the Pocahontas Blu-ray just to buy Pocahontas. Yeah, not Pocahontas Two: The Search for More Money. No, no, and and the rescues and the rescues down under. Both of them, I think we both agree, you need to add these to your collection. They are awesome films and well-deserved a place on your shelf. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. In Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at Disneyland, you race through the streets of London on a madcap journey. But if you can catch it, take a look in the window above the constabulary. You may notice a silhouette of another famous resident of London, none other than Sherlock Holmes himself. Not the doctor? No, he's an Atardis. Oh, that's too bad. Thanks so much for watching. Leave us a comment and be sure to rate us on iTunes. And email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. And don't forget you must like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. You can also follow the both of us on Twitter. He's at Imaginerding, and I'm at Jeff Heimbuck. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And we're from Mice Chat. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs>